Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Tothy, so much of our daily news is COVID-19 related. It can just be overwhelming and depressing. That is true. Uh, but healthcare systems and providers, of course, are responding to this national crisis with tremendous dedication and, of course, intelligence as they deal with it. Absolutely. Could not agree more with that statement. But surely our healthcare system and providers can use all the help they can get right now. Yes. And so that's why the subject of, of our podcast today is a source of assistance, and that is the public library system. And I am excited that you covered this topic today with our guest because I was uh, on the board of trustees for a public library system years ago, and I just loved it. I'm a big believer in public libraries. Yeah, very cool. I come from uh, grandmother and aunts, all librarians, but um, you're, you're right. I, I interviewed Professor Mary Grace Flaherty, and she is an expert on the topic of libraries and health. And I'm looking forward to listening to that. But first, we need to do word of the show. Ooh, do I have a word for you today, Tothy. Hmm. Tothy, today's word relates to some disturbing news out of, out of Russia regarding not one, not two, but three healthcare providers that at different times and in different places over the past two weeks have fallen out of hospital windows. What? True. Are anyone, you can, any, anyone can look this up. It, 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 is, not, uh, it is not fake news. That's it awful. is disturbing news, but it is not fake news. So in reference to this, our word is defenestration. And defenestration, you may ask, is the act of throwing someone out of a window. Oh, my gosh. Well, two things. First, the fact that this is happening is horrifying. Um, and secondly, True. the fact that there's a word to describe it is astounding. <laughs> it does somewhat speak to the frequency of the event that there is a word for it. But okay, let's all be glad that we are uh, not healthcare providers in in Russia, Tothi. I am glad. And on that note, here is your interview with Professor Mary Grace Flaherty. Today, I'm speaking with Professor Mary Grace Flaherty, an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina's School of Information and Library Science. She received her PhD from Syracuse University. She has a Master of Library Science from the University of Maryland, a MS degree from Johns Hopkins, and Dr. Flaherty has worked in a variety of libraries, including academic medical, health research, and public. She is currently a member of the Academy of Health Information Professionals. She is a Fulbright Scholar and has won a Carnegie Whitney Grant Award from the American Library Association. It is my great pleasure to welcome Professor Flaherty to Sound Practice Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm thrilled uh, that you, you joined in, and, and our audience will know that this is a little bit of a of a change of of pace to uh, speak with someone who is a, a professional uh, librarian. But you focus much of your time in the the healthcare arena. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. I started out my career as a reference librarian at Johns Hopkins University. 
And is that where you became interested in issues of access to healthcare information? Yes, absolutely. I think when I discovered that health information was really critical and timely health information was one day when I was sitting at the reference desk and we received a call from a physician in the emergency room. And this was, you know, pre-internet. This was a time when medical librarians were the gatekeepers to the online medical databases and the online medical literature. So we received this frantic call because this gentleman had a, a patient who was having a psychotic reaction to an anti-malarial drug and he wanted to know what the protocol was. And in that moment, I thought, my golly, this job is really important. We could save a life today. Many years later, I found myself working as a public library director in rural upstate New York. And I had some of the same, maybe not quite as dramatic experiences, but the hospital in our small village closed. And I realized as well that in our region, there were counties that had three or four libraries, but no health clinics. So the public libraries become kind of the de facto health information resource provider, especially in rural communities. That is really um, true and, 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 and very interesting. And you're talking about the, the, the reference desk. Uh, I think that it's fair to say that I might not have made it through middle school without being able to call the reference desk and have help with my, my homework. But today we, we see the use of obviously the, the internet and, and, and Google search engines. I have to tell you, Professor, there, there are many physicians out there that are not big fans of patients uh, researching and self-diagnosing via the, the internet. And certainly I've heard physicians complain that responding to patients that come into their office with these just reams of Google printouts, it's time consuming, it's a distraction. How, if at all, can you respond to that, that kind of criticism by a practicing physician? I, I understand that criticism. I think there is a lot of bad information out there. And I think that the internet has definitely changed the provider patient relationship and the communication that might happen during a healthcare visit. But I think we need to flip it on its head and think of this as an educational opportunity. I think that we're not going to stop patients from using what we call Dr. Google, quote unquote. But I think we need to understand as well that there are really good resources out there that can help inform and empower patients. And in some cases, like with new, new diseases, as we've seen in North Carolina, we have the alpha-gal syndrome, which is the, the uh, condition that if you get a tick bite, it can make you allergic to red meat. And of course, this is a really freaky kind of thing. It made its way into the media before it made its way into the medical literature. And so there were patients who were discovering they had this disease through other mechanisms rather than visiting their primary care doctor. So I think that, you know, um, we don't want patients self-diagnosing, but I think having informed and empowered patients can really help the healthcare relationship. There's a good bit of, of research out there that would show that the more engaged a patient is in his or her healthcare, uh, typically, the better the outcomes that patient receives. So I think you're you're absolutely absolutely correct. Let's shift gears a little bit because in 2018 you published a book that caught my attention, uh, promoting individual and community health at the library. Let's start 
with the individual? What are some of the ways uh, libraries can promote an individual's health? Well, I think the first is the low-hanging fruit, which is better quality health information. Annually, there are about 40% more visits to public libraries than there are to healthcare providers in the US. And about 38% of people using libraries do so to seek out health information. And almost 60% of public libraries offer programs on finding health information. So I think the first thing is access to better quality, authoritative, credible resources for health information. I think secondly, they serve as community centers. So that means they can host programs, they can provide space for support groups, such as the man-to-man -man support group for prostate cancer uh, folks and better breathers for the asthma, asthma folks. These were just some of the groups we supported in our rural library. Some libraries have blood pressure monitors. They can also, <laughs> public libraries regularly serve as a safe place during heat advisories. They also offer targeted programs. Some have you know, therapy dogs when there are exams going on at the high school. Beyond books and, and programs, they also loan things that promote health, such as bikes or Fitbits. Uh, some libraries have community gardens and then they harvest what's in the garden and then have programs about healthy snacks and provide healthy snacks. Some libraries have social workers on staff or a public health nurse on staff as they do in Pima County, Arizona. And libraries were really important with ACA enrollment with hosting navigators on site at the libraries. And in fact, in 2019, 59% of libraries had programs on health insurance. Wow, that's a great list, and it um, makes you feel feel hopeful that information is is getting out. You just spoke and gave some great statistics about how libraries can can help individuals and things that that libraries are doing for individuals' help. I'd like to shift the focus now upon community health. Can you give me some examples of how libraries have positively impacted an entire community's health? I think that. I can speak to this in kind of a, again, giving anecdotal examples. We haven't been as good at capturing the data on how we've changed community health. And I think that's something that I'd like to investigate more as I move forward in, in my career. But some of the things that, that are happening community-wide in libraries are health fairs, vaccine clinics, mobile mammography vans. And I think that we could be capturing how many people are using these services to get a better beat on the effect this is having community-wide. But also we're seeing library staff responding to the opioid epidemic and being trained on administering Narcan. Lots of libraries have dance programs, yoga programs, senior fitness videos, active story times, uh, bike fixing workshops, walking groups. A lot of libraries are partnering with their recreation and parks department. And some are building what they call story walk, walking trails where you discuss stories. There's a plethora of activities happening, but I think you make a good point, Mike, in that we need to be capturing the data about this. Like what is the impact we're having community-wide? And I think that that's a logical next place for public libraries to be looking and thinking. Are there specific examples of libraries partnering with, with hospitals or healthcare systems to promote better health in the community? Yes, there are a few. Um, 
uh, most of them are partnering in terms of programming. So it might be that you go to your local hospital and ask a, a nurse diabetes educator to come or a, a panel of physicians mm. to talk about hypertension or, or whatever it might be that's, that's having an impact on your community. At the Nashville Public Library in Tennessee, they started an initiative in 2016 working with their local healthcare systems on a full-blown initiative called Be Well at NPL. And they regularly host exercise and meditation, healthy living and cooking classes, and that's in concert with the healthcare system. They're also doing this in Philadelphia. Uh, I think we will see more of this, but I think for the most part, it's local folks interacting with local healthcare providers and having them come in to offer programming. It seems to me to be particularly well situated, a library for wellness type of programs. And feel free to disagree with me, but most people think of going to a health system or a hospital when they have some kind of illness, perhaps an acute form, but not so much when they um, are thinking about just general wellness. And perhaps libraries can fill that role. I could not have said it better myself. <laughs> uh, I doubt that, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> I doubt that it was very kind. Uh, so let, let's shift because, as I think anyone who is is listening to this knows, we're we're in days of social distancing and sheltering and in place. And do do we need to conceive of a library as being more than a a geographical location? And if so, can we talk about opportunities and costs that come with redefining the image of a public library in the days that we're living in? Uh, sure. I think these are challenging times for all of us everywhere. But what I have seen over the course of my career is libraries in all sorts of settings are really versatile organizations. And I think that they're as much about services and resources and access to resources as they are about place. And we've seen libraries retooling and using social media in an increasing way to promote health information and give, you know, give current re research about what are the symptoms of COVID. They're offering homework help this way. They're offering, access to digital resources and virtual programs in the best way they can. They're also coordinating services with local government agencies. So in Minnesota, they worked with the Public Works Department to use the Civic Center as a day shelter for homeless folks who might otherwise be at the library during the day. In California, there's a library using their 3D printers to make face shields for the local hospital. There's another library in California that as soon as this happened, worked to have porta pots and hand washing stations in the library park also to serve the homeless who might otherwise not have a place to use these resources. Uh, there are librarians all across the country using phones to connect with their digitally disconnected patrons. And I think it's now up to between 80 to 90% of public libraries throughout our country are leaving their Wi-Fi on 24-7 and making it accessible to folks. So we see uh, kids in parking lots in libraries doing their homework and downloading audiobooks. And, and so I think that libraries, they are important community centers and very often they are the anchor 
institution, especially in small rural communities. But I think that at their heart, they're about serving users and they will do that. They will find a way to do that even in these times of, of COVID. Very positive and strong message. I'm talking with a Professor Mary Grace Flaherty. We're talking about your uh, work in the healthcare space and perhaps more specifically, your a book, Promoting Individual and Community Health at the Library, which is an exceptional read and I recommend it to our, our audience. Here's my, my next uh, question, uh, Mary Grace. What role, if any, do librarians play in evaluating or validating the quality of health information generally available uh, to the public? And we maybe touched a little bit on this earlier on when we were talking about sources of information, but it, it seems to me that there's a tension here between promoting quality information and discounting or, and I know censoring is a, is a loaded term, but potentially false or, or harmful information. Perhaps said another way, what are librarians' duties in the age of, of disinformation? That's a, a great question. And I struggle with this tension and discuss it in class with my students all the time. Because in public libraries, we have collection tools, such as the New York Times bestseller list. So what do we do when Jenny McCarthy's book, uh, reporting that vaccines cause autism, it's number one on the New York Times bestseller list. The patrons are going to want that book and um, they will come in and ask for it. But at the same time, it's not uh, reliable authoritative health information. And in fact, it's wrong. So uh, this is a tension in terms of serving what the patrons might want. And I think about how do we handle that? And, and one of the ways I think is we don't shelve it next to Dr. Paul Offit's books on vaccines. We shelve it in a place that is celebrities take on medicine or something like that. Um, so I think there is this tension. Having said that, libraries and librarians are about reliable information from my perspective. And I think starting out as that reference librarian at Johns Hopkins in the early 90s, real early 80s, I suppose, or late 80s anyway, um, it really shaped my notion of health information and what our duties are. And I think that that transfers to the public library. I think that we need to be steering folks to medlineplus.gov, to Mayo Clinic, to the CDC. And in these days of COVID, I'm sorry to say that the New York Times and Johns Hopkins are doing a better job than CDC in terms of updating their websites regularly. We do need to be evaluating and helping patrons evaluate, but at the same time, we don't want to censor. So I think there is this inherent tension, but I think that we can navigate it and negotiate it. And that might be by supplying evidence-based medicine and saying, this is the evidence and here's what other people have said. Interesting. All right. So you're unfortunately speaking to a lawyer who comes with, yes. with certain certain backgrounds. And, and, and one thing that has been of, of interest to me, I guess, is that in, information shared or accessed by an individual via his or her library is not in a legal sense privileged or protected. That same information, if shared with a physician, would be protected in some 
let me give you an example. If I ask a question about my medical condition to a physician, that question and the subsequent discussion is legally protected under, under HIPAA. This is not true if I'm in a library. Do you believe this negatively impacts the ability of a library to provide health information to the general public? That's a, a great question, Mike. I would say, yes, we don't have HIPAA. Librarians do not have HIPAA, but we're not in the business of healthcare or diagnosis. We're in the business of providing information. So we are guided by our professional organizations, such as the American Library Association, where one of the primary tenets is patron privacy and confidentiality. So when the Patriot Act came about and libraries were pressured to share patron records, we didn't. And in fact, libraries across the nation put things in place that erased circulation records once a patron turned the book back in. So we have been about protecting patron privacy and confidentiality throughout our existence. I can give an example of where librarians might be able to provide information that patrons might not be willing to go to their doctor for. And, and this happened to me when I was at the public library in, in rural New York. And there was a, a gal who came in and she had a flyer that she had received in the mail. And it was about uh, extreme treatment of vitamin K that could cure autism. And she wanted to know, should she take out a second mortgage on her home to fly to Utah for this weekend long seminar on providing vitamin K to her son to cure his autism. So I sat next to her and I went online and I went into Medline and I showed her that there was nothing, that no evidence that I could find anywhere that said vitamin K was a cure for autism. And she left with a lot of printouts um, for support on autism, but did not Put a second mortgage on her house to go to that workshop and my impression is she might not feel comfortable having that conversation with her doctor so in no way do i want to say librarians are diagnosing but i think they can provide resources and health information that can support individual and and community health i think that there are uh challenges especially in small rural communities in terms of being willing to ask a question of someone who might be your neighbor. But I think that we have ways that around that, you can ask things online that are anonymous. We provide bookmarks and displays on sensitive issues. And now a lot of libraries have self-checkouts. So we can collect the materials, make it available, and folks can check it out on their own. Excellent. Well, I have to say that, in at least in my opinion, that libraries have been underutilized by the healthcare systems and hospitals in their same communities and an extraordinarily valuable resource to public health and one that I encourage the membership of AAPL uh, to think more about in promoting individual and community uh, health in their, their own uh, location. Mary Grace Flaherty has been my guest today on uh, Sound Practice. She is a professor at the University of uh, North Carolina, specializing in healthcare uh, information, and is an author of a number of books, including Promoting Individual and Community Health at the Library. Mary Grace, thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. 
Oh, thank you. The pleasure's been all mine. Mike, I really enjoyed that conversation with Professor Flaherty. She's a wealth of information, as so many good librarians are. Oh, absolutely. Look, the interview certainly made me feel good. Public libraries are doing so much to help individuals and, and promote health in their communities. Very impressive. Well, it, it certainly seems like a, a resource that can be better utilized to an even greater extent. You are absolutely correct. Tothi, I think that that should be the last word of this podcast. Let's encourage our listeners to rate this podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed our interview with Professor Mary Grace Flaherty. If you did, please consider rating us on our website, soundpracticepodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Yes, we would appreciate that very much. And if you'd prefer to give us uh, feedback directly or make a suggestion about the podcast, please email feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. Please join us next time on Sound Practice. Don't forget, we release a new episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, but man and Robin went to Kapow.